May these words be spoken and heard in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, I've got a, a fairly new puppy, and if I'd have known that Brad was going to show baby videos, I would have been organised and brought puppy pictures, <laughs> and at least I might win that competition. Um, it's very hard parenting a puppy. Um, the other day, I... Um, was sitting at home watching some television and things were quiet. <laughs> Suddenly I heard some muffled barking. It took me a while to find Paddy, the puppy. He'd got himself shut in my study. Um, he'd had a really good go at uh, a number of commentaries. <laughs> but a couple of wood carvings that were up on a shelf and it made a complete mess. And the bother is you can't be cross with a puppy. It was kind of my fault. Um, but in a puppy's brain, it's part of what puppies do, and once they've done it, they've moved on. They can't uh, retrospectively think about what they've done and so you can't punish them. <coughs> It's a really hard thing. It's a really hard thing as well in parenting, around setting boundaries and consequences. Uh, now, I have three young adult children, and I can be a lot more clear with them about boundaries and consequences. They've got that capacity to think back about what they may or may not have done, and therefore the consequences of those things. It's more complicated in the area of uh, criminal law and justice. Uh, and you'll know if you follow the media that we have these conversations periodically about the need to be tougher on crime. And those conversations tend to sort of spiral into a place that says... If only there were tougher penalties, only there were tougher penalties, things might be better. It's interesting, in the United States, in those places where there is still the death penalty, there are no signs that that reduces the number of violent crimes. In fact, one of the reasons that criminologists don't think the death penalty acts as a deterrence is that most people who commit crimes don't actually expect to get caught. It's not that they like my puppy, that they don't connect it. Most people who commit crimes don't expect to get caught. They think that their crimes will remain hidden in the shadows and will never have to see the light. It's kind of the context we find ourselves in that gospel reading we had today about Nicodemus because the context of the reading is darkness. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the darkness at night. Nicodemus, this powerful religious leader, didn't dare go and see Jesus in broad daylight. So he comes under the cover of darkness to ask Jesus about his teachings. Perhaps 
Nicodemus is just on the edge of taking a chance on Jesus. He's had a glimpse of the life and teaching and ministry of this man. Perhaps he's this close to taking a chance on all of that. But he's scared. And so he comes under the cover of darkness, wondering perhaps what it might mean for him, for his position, for his power, for his future. And then to explain himself and his ministry, Jesus offers a rather strange sort of philosophical explanation about being born again that just confuses Nicodemus. And so Jesus goes a step further and he says that God loves the world so much. He sent his son. And that son is sent not to condemn the world, but to save and to heal and to love it. One writer says, in other words, perhaps Jesus is saying that if you want to understand me, one of the first things you have to understand is that condemnation is not part of who I am. You see, that's human nature. That's what we hear in those conversations about crime and punishment. That human nature about revenge and retribution, about judging and exclusion. But the Gospel says the Son came to heal, not to condemn to unite, not to divide. And that's always going to be problematic for those of us for whom revenge and retribution are part of our natural inclination. Leaves us in that uncomfortable place wondering if Jesus doesn't come to condemn, what are the consequences of evil deeds? And that's when Jesus says something rather startling. And it's a shame that you know, we have so often stopped at John 3.16 because the really powerful message comes in the verses after that. Jesus says that the punishment, the condemnation for not believing in Jesus is remaining in darkness. In this part of the Gospel, there's no vision of hell or eternal fire. No nightmares of endless torture and pain. The condemnation that comes from not trusting God is that we will continue to not trust God. We'll continue to live in darkness. We'll continue to live in alienation from God and from our neighbour. The crime, if you could call it that, is its own punishment. So the judgment against Nicodemus who comes in the darkness worried that someone might see him and find out who he really is would be to keep living that life of fear. Keep living in the shadows. Keep living in darkness. It would be remaining right where he is continuing on tomorrow just as he did today and every other day. The condemnation is the fear that causes you to hide your crime, to hide your brokenness, 
to stay in the shadows where you hope that no one will ever find it, rather than trusting in God's love to heal. And all through John's Gospel, this idea of darkness and light is there. And the darkness is characterised as a place of alienation and blindness and secrecy. And when we live in that place, as Nicodemus did, we're living condemned already, forced to live a life hidden even from ourselves. In that place, we believe that the truth about who we are, our very worth as humans, rests in our own deeds. It's a hell of our own making, a place we choose to exist separated from God and others, alienated because we can never tell the truth about ourselves. It seems to me in that kind of darkness, we think that we need to be perfect. We believe that if we're going to be loved, we have to hide all of the imperfections and mistakes and anomalies, all those things that make us human, actually. But the light that God calls us to is different. It's a place of authenticity, not perfection. In the light, we're not judged or condemned because our identity is formed by God's love for us, not through anything we might do ourselves. It's the interesting thing about that metaphor of birth. Not many of us had much to do with our own birth. and We didn't get to say when it happened or how it happened. It's something that happened to us. So if we think in John 3.16, or in, in, this, in this gospel reading, Jesus is saying, you've got to do something. He's saying, actually, you have to be born again. It's not something that you do. This is something that God does. The light, of course, is never an easy place to be. Because in the light, everything is revealed. We can't hide anymore. We can't hide from each other in community. We can't hide from God. We can't hide even from ourselves. And that can be a difficult thing. We have to come face to face with ourselves and look clearly at all the things that wound us in order that we might find healing. And just as Moses lifted up the serpents that, the serpents that poisoned and harmed the Israelites, we are called to face those things that wound us and how our actions wound others. We're called to lift those things up and bring them into the light so that God can begin to heal us and our communities. In other words, we tell the truth about who we are. We confess. That's the importance of what we do when we gather for worship week by week. We confess. We name before God our brokenness, 
our woundedness and those things that we've done to wound other people. We confess. The bother is, I suspect, that we are often so full of shame and fear, like Nicodemus was, that we don't actually trust. We don't trust God enough to come into the light. And we think we can keep ourselves hidden. We fear being revealed for who we really are. And so, surrounded by the judgment of our own making, we find it really hard to believe what might wait for us in the light as love and acceptance rather than condemnation and punishment. And it's interesting if you follow the story where Nicodemus ends up. Because it isn't until the crucifixion that Nicodemus finally comes out of the shadows into the light. He goes public as a follower of Jesus at the foot of the cross. When the 12 disciples, the gospel tells us, had scattered into the darkness. That great reversal where at the cross those faithful disciples have disappeared into the darkness and Nicodemus, who first met Jesus in the dark of the night, comes out into the light. And it's Nicodemus who collects Jesus' body and takes it to the tomb. Nicodemus who comes into the light on the very darkest of days. Perhaps Nicodemus finally understood at that moment what Jesus had said when he said that God so loved the world. Perhaps he finally understood that the son would rather die than see the world condemned. So today, Chris and Amy and Sid and Robert are following in the footsteps of Nicodemus, stepping out of the shadows standing in the full glare of the fluoro light here at St Andrews and going public as followers of Jesus. They will stand before us and proclaim in and through the promises that they will make that they have found the one, the one who came to heal and to love and not to condemn, to unite, not divide, the one who would rather die then see the world condemned. They have found the one who brings light to the darkness and in whom is life. And it's a pretty remarkable thing that they will do in a moment to stand before us and commit themselves and commit themselves anew to this Christ. And the invitation is to all of us to stop being secret followers of Jesus. That's very easy to do uh, unless you wear a a funny collared shirt or uh, dress up strangely on Sundays. It's very easy to be a secret follower of Jesus. 
I found it incredibly confronting when I first started wearing a clerical collar because people knew who I was and what I did and what I was a part of. But the invitation for all of us is to say with these four, we've seen the one. And we've accepted that invitation to step out of the shadows and live in the full light of Christ. And what a wonderful thing that is. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit.